So buprenorphine uh, is basically, I'd like to approach this from a historical perspective. I think it will explain it uh, in, in the best way. Uh, and I'll keep it as simple as I possibly can. Buprenorphine was discovered in the late 60s, 1967 or 1968. It was synthesized in a laboratory as a synthetic opiate. The reason they were looking for this medication or trying to put this medication together was as a powerful analgesic, basically for pain. And it is an opiate. Uh, but I'm gonna explain that and please uh, just put that in the back of your mind and don't uh, go crazy on the fact that it is an opiate. It is an opiate. It was uh, synthesized to be a powerful analgesic and pain medication. And they soon found out because of certain properties that the drug, the chemical has, that this could be an excellent maintenance medication for heroin abuse or heroin addiction or opiate abuse. And, I, and it's, it could potentially be better than methadone. And here's what uh, the issue was. Uh, these opiates, they have different properties and I'm gonna make the property very simple. There is a full agonist and that would be something like heroin or oxycodone, okay? As far as your body's concerned, when it goes in your brain, whether you got oxycodone, Roxy's 30s, uh, Opana, heroin, it looks at them exactly at the same as the same way and it locks into a receptor, okay? It's a full agonist and it locks into a receptor and it turns on all of the things that get turned on with an opiate that are euphoric and make, make folks addicted to it and so forth, okay? There's another type of uh, opiate that's called an agonist antagonist. And what that means is that unlike heroin or oxycodone, which fully locks onto the receptor, an agonist antagonist partially locks on and turns on that receptor and partially turns it off. So as an example, for those of you that know, a full antagonist or something that goes in there and completely locks the receptor would be naltrexone or Vivitrol, which you all know about. It blocks the opiate receptor. You can't get high. A full agonist, whether it's chemical or natural uh, or partially natural, heroin or oxys, okay? They go on and they have all the uh, pharmaceutical uh, or uh, therapeutic effects such as pain, but it also comes with a lot of negative properties, uh, which is the euphoria and the addiction. Suboxone is a partial agonist like heroin and a partial antagonist like Vivitrol or naltrexone. And what this essentially does is it locks onto the receptor and it has a very low ceiling effect of euphoria. That means if you're not an addict and you take this medication, you shouldn't get high. So there's a lot of hype out there and people think it's being abused. It's not being abused in that way. It goes under, it locks. And then the other thing that it has a ceiling effect for is that you don't need escalating doses, okay? That's brilliant and that's extremely therapeutic. And also the effects last up to 24 hours. So. Let's compare it to something that's a full agonist. Let's say heroin. I do some heroin, I get high, it takes care of pain. And over time, I have a need for an escalating dose and I have built a tolerance and it eventually builds into what's called addiction. And addiction is much more than building physiological tolerance. If you look at the full definition of addiction, uh, part of it is a lot of psychosocial issues. For example, I spend a significant time in my life seeking that drug and that high, okay? That would be heroin. Escalating dose, escalating 
body tolerance and the euphoria starts to go down over time and the eventual side effect of that escalating dose is overdose. Now let's take something like Suboxone, okay, or buprenorphine. Because of the property that it's an agonist antagonist, the escalating dose doesn't occur. Whatever you take, it has a ceiling effect. It stays at that dose. Number two, because of the properties it has, I don't get the euphoria. And so, and it also lasts 24 hours. So someone who's using heroin or other uh, prescribed medicines for addiction, you do what's called the cross tolerance switch, which is t stopping the heroin and switching them over to Suboxone. Now you have a very particular dose. It's prescribed by a doctor. You don't get a euphoria regardless of what they say on the internet and the thought of the abuse out there, which I can address at a different time. And you take the same amount every day. And it, at that point, it addresses your withdrawals and your cravings. And there's other things that it does. I'm going to give you uh, uh, one example. There's many things it does. When I'm taking opiates, for example, full agonist opiates, which is heroin or Vicodin or Oxys. Uh, this is one little area just to give you an example of how beneficial this drug can be. When I'm taking those drugs, here's what happens. If I'm taking a morphine or heroin or Oxy for pain, it goes in my body and imagine a cable and we'll call the pain receptor, okay? and it blocks that uh, a pain re receptor and then my pain goes down. There's another pathway in your body that goes, and a lot of people just don't know this. In fact, a lot of physicians aren't aware of this. Another pathway in your body that two cables run right next to your pain, pain receptor. And that second cable, you can call it your perception of pain. So you have your pain receptor that let's say heroin or morphine blocks. Then you have your perception of pain. Over time, when you're on heroin, when you're on morphine, when you're on regular opiate pain pills, your, your perception of pain starts to change in a very negative way. And that's what we call my tolerance getting higher and higher. So for example, when you see drug addicts or opiate addicts, people that have a lot of tolerance to pain, they keep needing more and more medication. And in fact, they become a lot more sensitive to pain. And in clinical medicine, that's what you call hyperalgesia effect of opiates, long-term opiate use. Now you put someone on Suboxone, okay? And when you put them on something like Suboxone or buprenorphine, to be more specific in general, it doesn't affect that pathway at all. So when you make that switch from whether it's heroin, Roxy's, morphine, any of those addiction uh, 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 compounds out there, what it does is allows that perception of pathway pain to heal and you come back to normal. In addition, because the midbrain, which is sort of the center of addiction that is fed by all those other opiates that we're discussing, the midbrain, oftentimes researchers and clinicians say it's been hijacked by addiction. The midbrain is usually regulated and controlled by your frontal cortex. We'll call it the executive brain, the boss. So for example, I have a craving or I want to do something, and my executive part of my brain oftentimes says, no, do not do this. The reasonable thing to do is X, Y, and Z. Long-term addiction and even short-term addiction completely severs that cord. When you put someone on maintenance medication of buprenorphine, another thing that it does, okay, it's, it's stopping your cravings, it's stopping your withdrawals. Now the midbrain is shut down. Now your executive functioning brain, the forebrain, has time to heal. So we've talked about three or four different things that buprenorphine does. One, 
It's great maintenance medication for someone who has an addiction because A, it doesn't give you the euphoria. B, it does not have a, it has a very, very definitive ceiling effect, 16 milligrams. 24 milligrams and in fact it's very difficult to overdose on because after 32 milligrams theoretically all of your receptors are saturated okay so a it takes care of craving it takes care of withdrawals b can be maintained at a, at the same dose every day c you're getting it legally from a, a physician d it doesn't worsen your perception of pain, which is key, and I'll get to that in a second, because again, people on chronic opiates are hyperalgesic. You know, when I used to work in the emergency department, you'd go up to them and touch their belly because they were uh, having some stomach pain, and then they'd jump off the bed. All the residents and other physicians would think they're faking it, and they, you know, they would have no empathy towards them. Well, actually, this is hyperalgesia of chronic opiate use. They have very, very sensitive pain receptors, okay? And the last one that we talked about, so that pathway heals. And we also talked about very briefly how the frontal cortex, which is the executive part of your brain that allows you, your, you to make good decisions and have good judgment, all of that heals as well. There's one other part to this, and I discussed it in other videos. This stuff is amazing pain medication. <clears throat> this is what it was initially looked at for was pain medication and a lot of people in the united states don't know this but the rest of the planet has been using this stuff for years and years and years as pain medication for non-end of life non-terminal chronic pain use that needs an opiate so go back to the 90s go back to the very early 90s and late 80s when the big pharmaceutical companies started pushing the huge doses of all of the synthetic pharmaceuticals that this nation is they're, they're partly blamed for now, whether that's true or not is not what I'm addressing, but you know, the severe addiction that we have in this nation, this was really driven by corporate factors and marketing. But if everyone was going to get on the Suboxone patch for pain, like they do on the rest of the planet, we can't ask would we have had this opiate problem that we have now that has turned into full-fledged heroin addiction. Uh, uh, now, uh, there's other issues, does it work and so forth and so on. Uh, and there's a lot of studies to back this up. But I will also say this, uh, as much as there's controversy about it in this country at this time, and there's a lot of social discourse about it, the rest of the planet and all of the first world countries this is the mainstay, first-line cornerstone treatment for opiate addiction. We have dozens and dozens and hundreds of metadata analysis showing how well it works at every level, whether you're looking at individual health, whether you're <coughs> looking at public policy impact, society or culture, it works. And just as a little side note, all those years when a lot of you would go into your doctor and you'd get excuse me, a butran, uh, fentanyl patch, well, the rest of the doctors and the rest of the planet were prescribing what's called a butrans patch, which is suboxone in a patch. And you change it once a week. It's, it's a powerful medication. It's a great medication. And I've actually been using it for many, many years. I think being educated about this issue, this topic, what this medication is, takes a lot of the voodoo and the magical thinking out of it. 
Uh, there's nothing controversial about this. It is not a sin to take this. Uh, it is not a moral weakness to take this. This is medication for what we can describe as a disease. And if we're interested in something like, let's say if a heroin addict comes to me and you know, oftentimes their parent will say, well, he's weak or he's trading one addiction for another. And immediately I think of last year where we had 72,000 opiate overdoses. And my question to them is, you know, did we somehow wake up one day and the word addiction itself was some uh, moral culprit in everything that's wrong in the world? It's just a word, right? This medication, I have Joe who's addicted to heroin. So what is Joe looking at? He's looking at hepatitis C, hepatitis B, HIV, soft tissue infection, pulmonary edema, endocarditis, overdose, death, prostitution, prison time, homelessness, and anything else you can figure. Oh, and I have my patient, uh, Henry, who's on Suboxone for the last three or four or five years. He doesn't have to deal with hepatitis B, hepatitis C, HIV, endocarditis, uh, pulmonary edema, death, and everything else. I would say he's about as much addicted to my buprenorphine as the diabetic patient is addicted to, your, to their insulin as the heart failure patient is addicted to their diuretics. If you have any further questions or want to hear, see more on this topic, please click over here and you can see further uh, discussion on this.